0: Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in, where are you at, Ben? Home or office?
1: I'm at the home, yeah.
0: Vienna, Virginia. Ben Olson. Um, Today on the show, we have a review of uh, our services from Xander. We have a really strange, did you see this email, Ben? Justin emailed us telling us that he has been scheduled for a paper version of the LSAT. What? Wow! <laughs> I read that this morning, and I was I was really shocked. But if any other listeners have had this uh, similar situation, we would like to know. It, it looks like they opened up a new testing center that's going to be pencil and paper for some people.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Yeah. Um, okay. We have a question about study timelines, specifically, like uh, you know how to use the LSAT demon. Kind of a question. Um, we have a warning from a correspondent saying to. Uh, warning other listeners to be skeptical of internet advice. Mm. We have an email from a student who is uh, asking about making a transition from a successful engineering career uh, to law student. Mm. We have a news item about this lawsuit apparently. Some students are suing Florida Coastal for uh, what they have determined to be The plaintiffs think is some shady practices by Florida Coastal. Okay. And then we have a uh, logical reasoning question from PrepTest71.
1: Awesome, dude. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great.
0: Cool. This uh, show will air on October 7th, which means if you're listening to this uh, on the launch date or a couple days after, you have uh, just a couple days left to sign up for our class in New York City. That's going to be Ben and I both in... um, Midtown Manhattan on Saturday and Sunday, October 12 and 13. That's going to be at the Kempton Inc 48 hotel on 11th Avenue, kind of on the West side. Uh, the class is $395, but you get real big discounts. If you are a demon subscriber, um, $300 off for premium subscribers, $200 off for regular subscribers and, uh, 395 normal price. So it's a bargain for, uh, Subscribers and it's filling up, so please go to thinkinglsat.com and sign up now. On the website and all over our social media, there's all the uh, directions and all that kind of stuff to the class. The same weekend, there's going to be a law school forum in New York that is at the Grand Hyatt on 42nd Street, and you would be able to go on Friday afternoon from Friday to uh, on Friday from 1 to 6. There's a bunch of law schools getting together at this law school forum so you could go to that on friday afternoon join us for drinks on friday night and then take an lsat class all day saturday and all day sunday did we settle on what test we're going to cover in that class ben
1: oh i think we did but it's in an email buried somewhere oh Um, okay i can't remember but we will be doing yeah some sections from a test and then targeted questions from the demon so just come prepared with your laptop or tablet or whatever
0: yeah, we got an email this morning asking about, you know, like what level the class is going to be at. Uh, people are worried, like, "Oh, I took TestMasters. Is this class going to be too basic for me?" Uh, the answer is definitely not going to be too basic. Um, I don't even teach really basic classes. I definitely try to teach to the middle slash top of the class, and um, it's not going to be theory based. It's going to be practice based. So basically, we just start with a section of a real LSAT, and then the class tells us which ones they need help with. Uh, if you're at a very high level, you ask us high level questions. If you're at a medium or lower level, you ask us medium or lower level questions. But it's not going to be like, here's the sufficient condition, here's the necessary condition. <laughs> we will cover those issues, you know, if people ask questions about them. Like, very frequently, we get questions like, Hey, I took a Kaplan class, but I still don't understand the difference between sufficient and necessary. And then we have to take five minutes to sort that out.
1: But that discussion is still very good for people who are scoring in the 170s. I mean, you and I both work with 170 tutoring students all the time. And sometimes I go into those sessions with the assumption that because they're scoring in the 170s, They are totally clear on this concept or that concept. And then we start talking about it and I start asking them questions rather than telling them or recapping what they should know. And it's like, oh, this isn't 100% clear in your mind. And although you're getting most of these questions correct, which is great, there's a reason you are occasionally getting questions wrong because you have a slight misunderstanding of what correlation is, for example, you thought that perfect correlation meant causation, and that is not true. So, or things like that. You know, there are little random things that people don't understand, and necessary versus sufficient assumptions is one of those things that a lot of top scorers still don't fully have wrapped their heads around. So,
0: anyways. Yeah, it, I, I agree. Everybody has their blind spots. And even people who are scoring in the 170s, it's, it is, it, I am always surprised but mm-hmm. there will be people who are like in the 170s and they always miss questions that have to do with, you know, like have to do with correlation to causation or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, wow, really? You're gonna- yeah. How did you get to 170 without that? But whatever. You know, then we patch that up. And then it's, I mean, I'm actually really happy when I see one of those very obvious blind spots because then we just sort that out and there you go. There's your three LSAT yeah. points. you know that you needed to get into the 99th percentile so anyway the class will be um it's for all levels if you're just starting out i don't think you're going to be like totally sucking i think you're i think you'll be able to hang in there but if you are intermediate or advanced uh you're definitely still going to get your money's worth because all you got to do is just tell us whatever you're struggling with and we're going to sort that out for you so uh come join us Saturday and Sunday, October 12 and 13 in New York City. And you can sign up for that at thinkingelset.com.
1: I would just add that based on the enrollment number so far, I predict this will be our biggest class yet. So uh, if you want to come, this is going to be a fun class.
0: Oh, yeah, it's going to be super fun. I mean, they're always super fun, but having the uh, energy of a full classroom um, makes it especially good for us <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. You can always email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. Send us a selfie if you'd like uh, to be included on our social media if we decide to use your question on the show. I got a note here from producer uh, the producing team saying, please keep your emails short. We've been getting walls of text again. Um, so yeah, p- please uh, please be thoughtful in the communications you send us because if you send us just a gigantic wall of text, I mean the odds are we're just not even gonna read it. Like how, how we don't have time to do that. So um write a wall of text by all means, and then edit that shit down to <laughs> something manageable before you uh send it to help at thinkinglsat.com. We really do want to thank we 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 wanna thank you for listening and we thank you for emailing the show. We wanna hear from you. But um if you're firing off poorly edited shit at us. It's just, you know, we're not going to spend the time to really. (laughs) We're going to respond. We're going to take about the same amount of time you spent writing it. (laughs) And a wall of text is really easy to write. I mean, you can write a ridiculous wall of text in five minutes. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) do that and then edit it down to something uh, useful, please. Yeah. You know, I also want to make a note here about like. When we get people do this with the ask button, I have to say, I get a little bit irritated. People hit the ask button in the demon, which I've mm-hmm. wanted. I have been, I've been strongly encouraging everyone to hit the ask button. I want you to hit the ask button because you have to tell your teacher what you don't understand. So please do that. But when I, some of these ask button requests, it seems as if you haven't like read the explanation I already wrote. Mm. Or it seems like you know you didn't take the time to watch a video. I get it that not everybody can watch videos all the time, but like for logic games, when you get home, watch a video, you know, and and, and try to sort it out for yourself. Because if I end up just saying, "Well, um, can you reread my explanation?" or "Well, can you watch those videos?" I, I don't know. It just feels like it's a waste of time.
2: Mm.
0: Um, the other thing I see a lot in these ask button requests is. Somebody will write one sentence and it has three typos in it,
2: hmm.
0: and that to me is just. Um, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but that's just it's like unprofessional, you know. Like, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, this is the beginning of your legal career, and yeah. you could start being a little more thoughtful and professional with your communications, yeah. I, I don't, and by professional, I don't mean don't use the f bomb, that's fine, I don't care, like you. you <laughs> but what i i want like make the thought as clear as like there's times where i just i can't i literally can't even understand the question well now you've wasted your time and my time and everybody's time yeah and so it just um please hit the ask button <laughs> we are here to help but uh please think about it when you when you do that
1: yeah You know, one thing I think that can happen is sometimes when you hit that ask button and then you start writing a question and then it gets resolved, there's this sense of like loss. You put in this effort and now it's like actually, oh, your question was answered as you thought through your written question. And now you feel like you want to send something off because you did all this work and it's all written out and it's ready for Nathan to review. But it's like, oh, shoot. What do I do, right? um, but at the same time, that's a victory if If you now understand it and you don't have to send anything in, that's really the goal,
0: yeah, and just you know don't cry wolf i mean <laughs> we we're we're getting lots of these requests, and we will respond to to everybody as as best we can. But if you're hitting the ask button multiple times per day and you're sending in these requests that are like all typo ridden and don't make any sense then we can't spend that much time to try to help you. you know, you're know, you not letting us help you if you do it that way. So mm. if you sort it out and you don't actually need the help, then yeah, you could just go ahead and not hit the button. <laughs> don't, you don't have to hit send. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you write it out, you figure it out for yourself. That's what you're saying, <laughs> right, Ben? Yeah, just the act yeah. of asking the question is like, oh, oh, yeah, now it makes sense, right? Well, okay, yeah. then I don't need a stream of consciousness of how you made it make sense. Like It makes sense to me. So mm-hmm. you don't need to tell us that you could just, <laughs> you could just cancel and be like, oh good, I, I got it. And then, yeah. but then by all means, the next one that doesn't make sense, then yeah, send in a question about the ones that don't make sense. <laughs> we would love to make it make sense for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Here's a review of the podcast and the demon. Why don't you take it, Ben?
1: Sure. Hello, Ben and Nathan. First off, I really appreciate all you do with the show, demon classes, et cetera. I took the June-August hybrid class with Ben in D.C., and on my commute from central Virginia, I would listen to the podcast the entire time. Cool. I found it to be quite entertaining and allowed me to take my mind off the LSAT while still thinking LSAT. Ah, no pun intended. I was like, what? Thinking LSAT, got it. I've heard from many different tutors that I've talked to during the D.C. study sessions about their success stories, and the biggest thing that always comes back Is Once you change the way you think about the test, you will be able to understand it much easier and answer questions with more confidence.
0: Yeah, amen.
2: Hmm.
1: I started with a cold score of 148 and most recently on a practice exam, on practice exam 83 scored a 160 with a perfect in logic games. I took the September LSAT and felt good about it, but I don't know if I started thinking about the test in a different way yet. Well, something's changed. (laughs) You can't say that. I'm hoping to get your ideas and clarification on this and maybe an example or two, especially in logical reasoning or reading comp on how to think about it in a different way. Mm. Maybe the clarification here is just what we keep saying on the show, but sometimes people think that they need a strategy <laughs> right out the gate, no. right?
0: Ask like, me a question. <laughs> Stop asking for tips. Ask me a question. Show me a logical reasoning question you don't understand, and I will show you a different way to think about it.
1: So (laughs) to answer your question, uh, Xander, as best I can, I think if you just go into logical reasoning and you try to understand the sentences and you try to see why the conclusion is not necessarily true given the premises, that is thinking about the test in a different way. Because most people, I think, are trying to game the system. They're trying to um, move away from the core skill, which is, can you read an argument, understand that it is an argument, understand what the conclusion is, and finally, understand why that conclusion is not necessarily true. In some cases, it is. some cases, it does follow logically from the premises provided. In that case, great. But that's very rare. In most cases the conclusion is not proven and you need to see why on your own terms and if you just find yourself saying that conclusion sucks this argument sucks that's a start but if you want to push yourself to get to a point where you can rebut that argument you say yeah, yeah. but yeah and if you can say yeah but and provide a concrete reason why that conclusion is not necessarily true even if it's likely to be true then you're on your way to thinking about the test, both logical reasoning and reading comp in a different way.
0: Yeah, I think you need to think about it like a computer scientist. Like, you need to think, it, it's not just like, let's daydream about the topic. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's figure out what their desired output is. Like, what's the conclusion of this argument? What are they trying to prove? What are the premises of this argument? If I accept these premises, does that mean that I'm forced to accept the conclusion? Or are there ways around it? Could I get out of this? Yeah. You know, think about it like a lawyer, think about it like a computer scientist. Do the premises prove the conclusion or not? Yeah. And you can't just say, I mean, I want you to say it's bullshit, but I want you to say why it's bullshit, right? I want you to say, what about this? What about, Mm -hmm. well, Not necessarily, because what about this? And that's not attacking the premises, by the way. That's attacking the logic between the premises and the conclusion. Mm -hmm. You tell me why those premises, even if the premises are fact, the conclusion still doesn't have to be fact because of reasons. And that's basically the answer for half or more of the logical reasoning questions. Yep, I think (laughs) the think about it a different way It's like basically just think about it more deeply, like actually take the time to really dig into it.
1: What is each claim saying and what logically follows from those claims? A lot of times I will read the first sentence and then I will understand what it is saying and then I will think about what that implies and what it doesn't imply. Right? Like if it says that most people like ice cream, I'm thinking to myself, okay, wow, so there's a whole world of 7 billion people, maybe 8 soon, and most, so more than half of those people like ice cream. The rest might not, but the rest could because most just means more than half. It's a lot of thoughts to think, but it doesn't take that long. <laughs> and now I'm totally grounded as to what that claim is saying and what it's not saying. So then when I go to the next claim and the next one, when I finally read the conclusion, wherever it might be, I'm ready to assess whether that was a good conclusion or a bad one.
0: Yeah, well said. And I, again, I think, Xander, really, like any logical reasoning question or reading comp question that you don't understand, that's a good example. I mean, that that's your example. Because that's the one you don't understand. So when we can get you to understanding of that question, then we will be teaching you how to think in a different way.
1: Yeah. Uh, When it comes to reading comp, when I think about thinking in a different way, I think about just reading and visualizing what you're saying or what, sorry, visualizing what you're reading. Just in class last night, we did a reading comp passage and someone said, yes, I understand what the main point was. And then they started reading a sentence from the passage. And I said, whoa, 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 stop, stop right there. Wait, hold up. Why are you reading it? Is it in your head? Like, can you look at me, look me in the eye and say, this is what they said? If you can't, I'm concerned. I could be wrong, but I'm concerned that you didn't take time to internalize what you were reading as you were reading it. Like you didn't make it your own. You didn't think, wait, hold up. Oh, oh, okay. This is what you're saying. And now it's an idea in your head. You just kept reading words.
0: Yeah, you should be reacting to it. Like you should be you should be taking a, a moment away from it to go, wow, that's really interesting because I would have thought this other thing. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you should be saying, huh, I'm not really sure what they mean by that. Do they mean this or do they mean this other thing? Yeah. Y- you have to be engaging with the thought. You have to actually be, that's what comprehending, you know, comprehending means understanding. So mm-hmm. <laughs> are you understanding it? Like as deeply as you could, or are you just reading words that don't have any meaning?
1: Yeah. Alexander continues. I have just started my studying for the October LSAT with drilling one day and doing sections the next, hoping to average one sixty three before the October twenty eighth. Before October twenty eighth comes around, thanks again, and I hope all is well with both of you. I've been suggesting or encouraging people to do this, where they come home and they drill one day and then they take a timed section the next day. Okay. And I've clarified that this could be different for people, right? The higher you're scoring, the more you can do and still review carefully and thoroughly. The, the worse you're doing, the more time you need to take to uh, review stuff. So you may do a section one night and review some of the questions and then maybe even need to review some more the next day, uh, depending on where you're at. Other people may be able to... May be able to do a time section, review it carefully, and still have a little energy and time left to drill some on the same day. So this isn't a hard and fast rule, but I think it's kind of a good default. You take a section, you review it the next day, you do some drilling that targets your your skill level right where you're at.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I and, and yeah, it's totally different for everybody. I mean, some people are working, some people aren't.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, or going to school or not, and so you know the. The price of admission is just kind of a little bit every day. Yeah. It matters a lot less what you do, exactly what you do, and it matters a lot mm-hmm. more that you just do, do something, like get on yeah. it, chip away at it. So, yeah, yeah, go back and forth between sections and just drilling in the demon. That's great. Yeah, Cool.
1: So Justin's taking a paper test. You got this?
0: Yeah. I, I was shocked. I, well, I just glanced at the agenda this morning and saw this. I guess we don't know that much about it. Hey hey, Ben and Nathan, I thought this was interesting, so I figured I would send it to you guys. Looks like I'll be taking the paper test in uh, paper LSAT in October. Love the podcast, Justin. It's an email from testadmin at lsac.org that was sent uh, a week ago. LSAT test center reassignment. You registered to take the LSAT on October 28, 2019. You have now been assigned to Center 23121 Sheridan, New York Times Square Hotel 2 to take the paper LSAT. Wow. Your admission ticket will be available for printing 14 days prior to your test date through your LSAC online account. Love, <laughs> LSAC. That's it. Did you just say love LSAC? Yeah, well, it didn't say love LSAC. It said, <laughs> do not reply to this message.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, They should sign off love LSAC. That would be pretty funny. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, part of their, their director of consumer delight or customer yeah. delight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, that's weird. So it's capitalized, too. That's kind of funny. Paper LSAT.
0: I don't know what this means. I mean, they had a major snafu with their equipment on the September LSAT, including having to cancel a bunch of people at the last minute. They had a Mm -hmm. shortage of test centers and they had to cancel people at the last minute. And so now this looks like the rollout maybe was a little bit fucked up or they, (laughs) they're maybe they're realizing like, Oh shit, we weren't able to fully accommodate everybody. So now we're just going to start doing a few of these paper... I don't know. Everybody else out there... This could just be a total one-off anomaly. But anybody else out there who's getting a paper test, please let us know.
1: Yeah, so the October test has been
0: pretty popular, right? A lot of people have signed up for it.
1: Maybe they just don't have enough devices.
0: Yeah, which we predicted a long time ago. But (laughs) I mean... Yeah. if, If we presume that the number of signups changes dramatically throughout the year depending on what time in the cycle there's going to be some parts of the cycle where they're going to have like tens of thousands of these tablets just gathering dust and then there's going to be parts of the cycle where they're not going to have enough of them
1: oh and the thing is tablets you know they go out of style (laughs) in a matter of a year two years
0: well right for this application they they shouldn't You know, I mean, the test has the test itself has changed so ridiculously slowly over the years that we can literally put prep test one on in the LSAT demon and it shows up perfectly just like all the other tests. So there's really no reason why the technology should change. I mean,
1: (laughs) I would just hate to be them and holding on to these devices that are becoming outdated. Yeah. And no longer supported by Microsoft, I mean those'll be supported for several years, but yeah. it's just like showing up to a you know <laughs> a test and then be like, okay you're going to be taking this on an Apple IIe <laughs> <laughs> they,
0: <laughs> well, bad, I mean, but. fortunately for them, they charge two hundred dollars every time you sit to take the test, so you know, assuming that they can get three year, three people to take the test on the same tablet, they've made mm-hmm. money on the I mean, <laughs> you know they're not like i don't think they're losing money on the. All they have to do is just charge people more, which yeah. they continue to do.
1: Anyways, they continue to befuddle us.
0: Yeah, they, they keep always keep you guessing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, please email help at thinkinglsat if you are also taking a paper version of the test. The, the The wild thing about this is that now people are going to be calling LSAC, asking them to get added to this paper administration <laughs> of the test, <laughs> which again is happening on October 28th at the Sheridan, New York Times Square Hotel. Unless this is a totally fake email by Justin. In which case, you know, bravo, Justin. Good trolling. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't really see any reason why he would. But boy, I'd love to hear clarification from anybody else out here who is also getting this same message. And yeah, don't you think now, Ben? Because like now that's like unfair. It's it's different, which means we can make an argument that it's unfair.
1: <laughs> I guess it could be. I mean, my preference would always be for the digital test at this point. I agree. You don't have to worry about bubbling. I think that's that alone is just nice. I agree. Faster.
0: I agree. But some people will want it. Yeah, I agree. Some people will want it. And so because some people will want it, then I don't know. Well, you can call LSAC. Uh, the number is two one five nine six eight one zero zero one. Okay. All right. You want this next one?
1: Yeah. Study timelines. Hey, thinking else team, my name is Olivia and I am new to the demon currently in the free trial phase because it seems silly not to use it up, but I have been looking at subscribing to it for a while. I was wondering if you had any study plan timelines or suggestions. I plan on taking the January exam, and I have been working through the PowerScore Bible material as well as practice tests. My first cold diagnostic was a 157. Wow, congrats. And I just completed my second practice exam and scored a 161. I would ideally be in the high 160 range, but I'm not sure what the best approach is. Right now, I've been doing a chapter a day in the PowerScore Bibles and the accompanying practice section questions. If you guys could share the best way to take advantage of the demon and a general timeline for studying with it, I would really appreciate it. I would say the same thing I just said a minute ago. I would drill one day, I would take a time section the next, and then uh, check out the course if you end up signing up for the premium version of the demon. You can watch a lesson a day or something or every other day or three days. Just rotate through these things. And the reason I suggest that is that when you do a time section... You get to practice like you're eventually going to play. But when you do drilling, the demon learns what you're good at, what you're not so good at. And so each question you're doing is at your skill level, which is right where you want to be. And that's a very good use of your time. At the same time, you're not getting the timing element of a time section. So I feel like going back and forth is a good use of getting exposure to both skills or using your time effectively, essentially. And then our course i mean it's got videos from me it's got audio from the podcast it's got written quizzes from nathan and other videos from nathan i mean yeah that's what i would suggest
0: yeah it's really everything you need
1: and then we do do a timed test every weekend or every other weekend or something sounds
0: good yeah, I don't know. do you want to add anything to that? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, we were already talking about the scheduling stuff. So, you know, Olivia, you just have to find an hour a day. Um, it, hour a day, if you if you can find an hour a day, I know you're going to be making progress. If you don't find an hour a day, maybe you're going to make progress, maybe you're not. Preferably, I want the best hour you have. That's kind of like paying yourself first. You know, tell your work that they've got, you're, you're going to give them a good... High quality eight hours, but it's not going to be your best one hour because your best one hour is gonna be you're gonna be investing that in yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, she says it's funny, I always wonder, she's like, I would ideally be in the high 160 range. I'm like, what? Why? Your cold diagnostic was a 157.
1: You can get into the 170s. Yeah,
0: we see 15-point improvements all the time. When somebody scores 157 on a cold diagnostic, I I expect you to make it into the 170s.
3: Yeah.
0: It just that's such a good starting score. You, you should totally mm-hmm. be able to do it. You, you should absolutely be able to do it. But it will require a, you know, significant investment of time and effort and so I would just uh yeah, like to be honest, reschedule your entire life so that you have the best hour every single day going into your LSAT prep. And if you do that between now and the January exam, you know, your practice test scores are going to be up into the one seventies and then you have every reason to expect that you can score in the one seventies on the January test. Yeah. And if not, you've got the retakes in the spring and you're still going to be ready for an early application uh, at the beginning of the next cycle. So, uh, you're in good, good spot, Olivia, as long as you're not planning to apply for 2020 admission with that January test. Yeah. Which is not recommended um next one
1: yeah so this is from Deba. she writes hi ben sorry to blow up your inbox these past few weeks but as you may know i took my first LSAT on saturday full disclosure i have no idea how i did on the test i walked out of there feeling really good but that could just mean i blew it who's to say
0: <laughs> okay it's true that students are terrible at assessing their own performance i mean people are people are real bad at like guessing what their score is before it yeah. comes out. Part of that is because the scoring scale changes on every test. Um, it's funny that we—it's like most of the reports I feel like that we heard from September were people people thought they did pretty poorly at least at least on the games. Yeah, but then now we've got a couple, just two in one show today, of people saying, "Yeah, I think I did pretty good." Yeah. So yeah, who knows? Hmm.
1: Anyway, while I was waiting for the proctors to let us in, I heard some really interesting conversations. Anything from the guy telling another test taker about how his friend, who got into Notre Dame, because apparently that matters, always read the question first, then dove into the LR passages because apparently it saves time.
0: No, it does not. That's a terrible tip. (laughs) So she's hearing bad Um, advice in line for the LSAT.
1: Yep. I also heard another woman sharing the amount of time she has spent studying for the last for the test, because apparently there is a golden standard for everyone regarding how long you should study one year, five to eight hours a day. (laughs)
0: Wow. That is ridiculous. If you studied five to eight hours a day for an entire year. Oh boy. I, I just, I can't imagine that those were efficient study hours.
1: No. When you start doing that, you start getting lazy. You start checking yeah. off boxes, right? Oh, look, I, I finished three sections and I looked at the ones I got wrong. Yeah. Do, do you understand them? Like each section, I ask my, student, my students this all the time. I'm like, if you take a time section and you review it carefully, even if you're only getting one to two wrong because you're that good, you can take away three, four Five concrete detailed lessons from that section. Right? Like you're like, oh, I was debating this question, but here's ultimately why this answer is yeah. correct. What's my takeaway? That's like why tutoring to the word most or <laughs> it's, more. Yeah.
0: That's why tutoring is so useful. Like because you bring me a list of 10 or 15 questions that you missed, mm-hmm. or that you missed and reviewed, and you still don't really get it. And then we spend a couple hours digging deep into those mistakes. Yeah. And then people come away with like, oh wow, that was really helpful. I never thought about that that way. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Well, there you go. It's not. It's not that complicated. It's like ultimately, it, it does boil down to something pretty simple, probably. But you just you could have studied for months and never like it might not have just clicked because you were doing it yourself and you just didn't know really what you were looking for. And or so, you're just
1: not doing it carefully enough, right? A lot of these true. people aren't, they're like these, like someone who's spending, like you're saying, five to eight hours a day, they're on autopilot. They're cruising through this material and that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. I mean, in five to eight hours a day, <laughs> you should be doing, you could do a full test and review it. Mm-hmm. So take she away like did that 20 for takeaways. 365 days. There's only 90 practice tests.
1: Hmm. Maybe she's on Reddit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what she's doing, but she's not, she's not doing it as efficiently as she could. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it ends up hurting you because if you're, if you're just like kind of skimming over this stuff, then you're getting to the habit of skimming.
0: Yeah. Training yourself to just be like sleeping while you do the test right and you like how else could you survive for a year yeah (laughs) and it's like oh yeah i I just i score 160 after 160 after 160 after 160 and it's like yeah okay because you're not going deep enough you're not really understanding what you're reading you're just skimming the surface and making the same kinds of mistakes and that's a good way to just have a mediocre score Hmm. yeah it's a bummer man that's a wasted year Jeez. all right
1: she continues after the test People went to town on the different Facebook pages and online forums complaining about how hard the test was, seeking advice for the next test, and asking if law school is right for them. First of all, who consults a Facebook page about one of the biggest decisions you could make? Oh, I guess we all do. (laughs) We are all in the same boat. What the hell do we know? It's like the blind leading the blind. What's worse than the post were the comments the amount of shitty, unsolicited commentary that you can find on Reddit or Facebook is endless. I'm sure you already know this, and I apologize if you and Nathan have already discussed this in a podcast. I am slowly making my way through them. But I thought it would be really valuable for you all to even briefly discuss this. I think LSAT takers should take advice from other LSAT takers very cautiously. If someone is new to the LSAT and law school admissions process, these in-person discussions at testing centers... And online forums could really scare away some very qualified people. I'm convinced people socialize at the test centers because they need validation that their six months and eight hours a day of studying will pay off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or they're just like trolling. I mean, do you even believe someone that says they studied five to eight hours a day for a year or half a year?
1: I find that highly unlikely. Yeah,
0: it's almost impossible. It's like, oh, so you put in a couple of those full days. And then you studied like otherwise you studied four days a week. (laughs) Nobody actually did a year full time. Come on.
1: Yeah. I mean take advice from other test takers very cautiously. I would agree with that.
0: Oh, I'm amazed. Do you ever walk into class, Ben, and the students are giving each other advice?
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: If you overhear that advice you will be very disappointed. (laughs) It's crazy the type of shit that people are trying to sell to each other in the class. Yeah. I I like have to come in because I'm me. I like have to go in there. I have to like interrupt people and be like, well, (laughs) you could do that. But I would not recommend that. It's not a strategy that I would ever teach. Yeah. (laughs) And here's why. Don't do that. I don't know. Everybody has different ways of understanding stuff, but I hear people explaining things to each other and I'm just like, oh man. Yeah, grains of salt definitely are are needed. And then especially on the internet. I mean, on the internet people could just be straight trolling. You know, I would yeah. never apply to law school with anything less than a 175 because or I scored 180 on my last 10 practice tests in a row. All right. What you've got no proof of any of that. You're just in there trying to, you know, trying to rile people up.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Thanks, Deba. We've read it on the show. Oh, by the way, earlier on the show we read an email from Xander, right?
0: You keep saying Xander. Yeah, I think I would, I would go that. Xander on that, but yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Xander. From um, we never met in person, unfortunately. But Xander sent me a very nice um, card, a physical card right here. Yeah. So saying thanks for the class and all that stuff. So um, That's a classy move. Yeah. It's very um, uncommon these days. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Xander.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Handwritten thank you notes can still go a long way, man. If you do an informational interview with a lawyer, mm, send them a note to their office. Yeah. They, keep it short. Yep. Keep it short. But just uh yeah, it's just a it's just an old school little thing that, you know, not everybody does. Or actually hardly anybody does anymore.
1: Yeah. It's hard. It's so much easier to shoot off an email. But um Yeah, that's why it sticks and, out.
0: Yeah, I mean an email's great too, but it's just <laughs> yeah, sometimes you make a little extra effort. Goes a long way. All, All right. right. Ready for Sean the engineer? Yeah. Sean starts with a TLDR. I'm an engineer. I'm good at my job. I get paid very well, but I hate it. Thinking about law school, am I an idiot? Want to give Sean some TLDR advice?
1: Sure. I would say that seems like a big shift. I'm worried that out of desperation to get out of your situation, you're throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing law school um you could change jobs still do an engineering job and love it right like small changes in work can start hitting things that you enjoy doing and making you very happy so i'm i'm worried that you're going to like transplant yourself from one pond to a totally different pond and discover that you still hate what you're doing. Yep. I have, I have a sense that it has less to do with engineering and more to do with what exactly you're doing at your current job, even within the same company. Like, could you seek another position?
0: Start your own firm or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, my default advice here is going to be, I, you know, I'm not going to call you an idiot, Sean. It's just that if you're an engineer, that's good at your job, you have lots of skills that lawyers don't have. And you're going to go compete in a different arena with people who don't have your very valuable skills. Your very valuable skills are not going to be useful for a lot of what lawyers do. And now you're going to be fighting in a different arena where these other people are going to have skills that you don't have potentially. I don't know. I'm reminded of when Michael Jordan went and tried to play baseball you know, like for whatever reason, yeah. he wasn't happy winning NBA championships. So he decided to go try to play baseball. He sucked. Yeah. I mean, he, he had no chance of playing professional baseball and uh, I don't care how unhappy he was playing in the NBA. Baseball was not the solution. Hmm. And it's just, it's an analogy. Analogies are you know inherently suspect, but it's just like do you want to be a gladiator of the English language, Sean? Or do you have like science, math skills that uh, unless you do something very specific in law, those science and math skills are just going to not really be used.
1: I don't know if you would experience this when you go to law school, Sean, if you do end up going. But when I went to law school, I came from an econ background. Now, economics is softer than, say, engineering. But economists still strive to figure out how the world works and the standard is truth to some extent, right? Like economists are arguing about what model best reflects reality. That's the standard, right? And when I was in law school, I remember, I don't know if it was my second semester or the beginning of my 2L year. I think it was early on though. I remember sitting in class and being like, but what should the law be? Like, I hear you're saying that this judge said it is this way and this other judge said it should be that way, but, like, what should it be? Like, aren't we trying to, like, argue and move toward (laughs) the truth? And I had this realization that I'm like, oh, there is no truth here. We're not... No one is, is trying to find the right answer. They're all just trying to learn how to argue for whatever position they want to be right,
0: they do frequently pretend to find truth, but oh, yeah, that's it is, how you
1: that's how you persuade right you're like this is the way
0: it's not <laughs> but it's, it is not a scientific inquiry at all
1: and, and, at all and this is this is how you know in economics in engineering, you have to come back to the physics to the reality, to the data, what are people doing or not doing? Does the model fit that in law school you're authorities aren't what people are doing or not doing they're judges what did they say what did the other judge say how many judges say that what argument seems more persuasive to you it it's just an yeah. endless well, circle it's also of arguments
0: decide in advance which outcome you want yes and then go marshal your opinions of judges and act as if these are the high and mighty you know arbiters these are the of right. truth Yes. Like this is what it has always meant. If you look at the text, we've always we interpreted this this way, you know. <laughs> or
1: should we look to the spirit of the text? Exactly.
0: <laughs> but either way, it's just double talk. Like it's just it's not it's not real. It's politics. It's fake. Yeah. And, and this, is,
1: this is why you call it the gladiator of the English language. It's a, it's the it's the gladiator of persuasion. Yeah. Not truth. Yeah. Not that I'm like <laughs> trying to be all like moralistic. I'm not saying one system is better than another. They all serve their place at the time. I think I was disappointed, but now I don't really care. Um all I'm saying is that in engineering, I imagine part of your job is solving problems and that comes down to the reality of the atoms in the world and whether they <laughs> align with that reality. Whereas law school is a much different field
0: yeah it's about making arguments and winning and losing yep but it's not about (laughs) it's yeah it's it's not about finding a correct solution it's it's always just about like well what's our desired outcome here and how do we get to that but there's going to be someone on the other side who has the exact opposite desired outcome and they're going to be trying to get to that solution and then you're just going to be fighting over whose interpretation is going to win today and there's Mm -hmm. just no there's no right there's no there's no such thing as like truth I I don't know. Um, All right. I know what usually follows, says Sean. I should run far, far away from the LSAT and law school. (laughs) But I really do not like what I do. Yeah, and that is just not a reason to go to law school.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is like logical reasoning flaw number one. Like, I don't like X, therefore I have to do Y. Right. What about Z? What about A through W? Yeah.
0: Now here he goes. He's you know, trying to claim that he's, a, he's uh, eliminated all other possibilities. He says, okay. I have tried oh. Fortune 500 companies, management, sliding over to project management, and now I'm at a small private company making electricity. But I hate it. And it's not because I do not do well. I have excelled at every position I have been placed in. I just don't like the work. I get paid very well, around 150000 with my annual bonus, but money has never been a strong motivator for me. I need it; it just doesn't bring happiness. As such, I have no dreams of big law or anything like that. Okay, so so Sean's talking about taking a huge pay cut to go to law school, mm-hmm. or to go to become a lawyer. Because yeah. I mean, if you're not working in big law, you're just not going to make big money. So, hundred fifty thousand dollars—that's what a twenty-two or three-year-old starting associate at a big firm well, might make $180,000 a year, Sure. right? So, but if you're not going to go to big law, you're not going to make anything close to that. So Sean's looking at changing careers in order to take a 50% pay cut. You know what? what Sean, have you considered going part-time at your current job?
1: Yeah, maybe you just need a little less
0: pain. <laughs> I mean, if you could start working half-time and making half a, as much money, You'd have all kinds of time for... Because he goes on to talk about his family and stuff. You'd have all kinds of time for your family and you'd still be making a solid... You know, you would know that you could be successful in a part-time role. I think that's the answer. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to work more for less money. You, you should work less for less money.
1: So, uh, even when he tries to dismiss all these other options, I still don't hear why law school would be right. a... Option. Yeah, he,
0: he, does, he does get into it a little bit, but I'll keep reading. Okay. I have a good undergrad GPA, at least for an engineer, 3.74. That is a damn good engineering undergrad GPA. I'm doing well in my LSAT studies and will be taking the test in November and January if necessary with the hopes of starting law school next fall. I'm in a bit of a time crunch as I found out I still have two years of GI Bill remaining as a Navy veteran so if I start next fall, I think about half of my tuition would be covered. Living in Houston, I have UH locally as an option, even part-time night school if I so choose. And I think with my GPA and hopefully with my LSAT score, I will be a shoe-in. I mean, I would think you should be able to get a full ride at UH. Yeah. You got good grades in engineering. You should easily be able to score 165 on the LSAT. I haven't looked at Houston's 509, but I've like never heard of them before. So I'm sure you would be able to get a hefty scholarship to the school. You don't want to just get in. You want a full ride to the school. Yeah. Um, However, I think what I would really like is a clerkship position. I am passionate about politics and all things constitution, state and federal. To do that from Texas most likely means UT. Going there would mean quitting my job, selling our home and moving to Austin in order he's saying in order to get a federal clerkship he thinks he needs to go to ut. Okay. One that's not true. We saw recently somebody who had gone to a lower ranked school on a full ride and gone to and gotten a federal clerkship.
1: Wait, uh, so we're saying the opposite. I'm saying that might be true. Oh. I think the he can get a can, I mean We just yeah, had a like I guess it,
0: We just had a correspondent on the show who had gone to I can't remember the school now. But they had taken a scholarship at a lower-ranked school, kicked ass there, and gotten a federal clerkship.
1: Mm. Yeah, I do remember that. I guess I'm just thinking about in
0: terms of probability, right? I I guess. I mean, but if you go to UT, the competition's going to be a lot tougher there. Sure, of course, a lot more federal clerks come out of UT. But Sean doesn't want to (laughs) move. Listen, Mm. oh, did I mention I'm 37 years old, married, and have a four-year-old and one-year-old? I mean... Does he really want to do that? Quit his job, sell his home, move to Austin with a four-year-old and a one-year-old in order to try to get a federal clerkship? Uh. YOLO. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, YOLO also, you know, Yogto. Wait, Yogdo. Yogdo? What's Yogdo? You only get divorced once. Oh yeah. I mean, well, wait. I don't think that's true. That's true. You can get divorced a lot more than once. But I mean, <laughs> that would that sounds like a recipe for a divorce right there. Oh my god! Quit a totally successful job, sell your home, move your four year old and one year old to Austin to go to law school. Your wife's like,
1: "What are you doing, honey?"
0: I'd like to put money on divorce in that case. I would say that's okay. very close to a fifty fifty, or higher. I mean, the default rate for divorce is already 50%, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Doing something like that? I'll take the over. Um, Anyway, logically, oh, wait, sorry. Quite frankly, that's why I don't really want to do part-time school. Between that and work, I would not see them for four years. (sighs) Not sure that's... that's Well, you're not going to see them for three years if you go to law school full-time,
1: uh, I do feel like part-time plus work
0: would be harder than full-time law school by itself. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I feel, again, like with part-time law school, I feel like people kind of have a way of putting it in a box, you know? Hmm. I still want him to know. go part-time at his job. How about part-time at his job and part-time law school in Houston? Keep your house, don't uproot your whole family, get a scholarship to this UH, go part-time at your work, and part-time law school because you think you need something different in your life. Mm.
1: Yeah. And then go into politics. Apparently he's passionate about politics and all things constitution. Does he really want to change the world to a clerkship or does he want to change policy?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Go run for school board. You got kids that are about to start school. Yeah. You know, like get, go deep into your local community politics When he said he has a passion for all things Constitution, I'm just like face palming Over here (laughs) What does that, I don't know what that Means, I I don't I don't get it, um, okay Logically I'm telling myself That even if the clerkship route Didn't work out, with my background I could get into a Corporate counsel position in oil And gas, or even do patent Law
1: What (laughs)
3: Okay.
0: Uh, Hold on. Corporate counsel positions, doesn't that usually come from after you worked in big law?
1: Yeah, you get get experience helping these corporations with their transactions or their litigation, and then they take you in-house because they want your experience and they offer you a cushier job as an in-house counsel. Why would they hire you if... You don't have any experience.
0: Yeah, that's hilarious that people think they can just go to law school. Like, okay, so you're going to go to law school, not get a clerkship, but then just go, go directly into corporate counsel?
2: Hmm.
0: That's not a thing. Or if it is a thing, it's an extremely rare thing. Um, <laughs> I like the, or even do patent law at the end. Like like that's something that I thought going into law school. I was like a complete naive idiot. And I'm like, oh, well, I think I want to do something businessy related. And like, yeah, I think I could do probably IP. Yeah. Like I do nothing at all. It just, I mean, this guy's an engineer. So he would have a chance to do this. But like, okay, then he should probably like try to get a, um, like pass the patent bar. Like start Mm. doing, because you could start doing that stuff while he's in law school. Yeah. If that's really what you wanted to do. But this whole like I want to work on the Constitution via a clerkship, but then maybe also corporate counsel or patent law is like you don't I don't think you know what any of those things mean. Um They're very different. Yeah. Okay. Am I an idiot? No, I'm not an idiot. Perhaps a glutton for punishment? Maybe. Rushing into a decision I will regret? yes absolutely (laughs) so we've
1: gone from no to maybe to yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it depends Uh, sorry Uh, i know you all can't know everything i just appreciate a good sounding board from someone who isn't afraid to tell it like it is thanks sean
1: i like your idea of taking half time off or doing going part-time with work or
0: start with that yeah start with that and see if you like your job and career better
1: I mean, geez, how much more enjoyable. Some things that are a pain when you don't have to do them as much are suddenly interesting again or freeing. It really sounds like you should be seeking other opportunities in engineering as well. I know you said you've done all this stuff, but there are so many jobs in engineering. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Walk in and tell your job that you're going to quit if they don't let you go half time. Spend more time with your four-year-old and your one-year-old. Take some pressure off your wife. If you want to start going to law, I mean, you could become like Mr. Dad and study law part-time if you wanted. I just, boy, I do not think. Restarting your career at age 37 when you already make $150,000 a year. Yeah. Uh, My vote is no.
1: I bet you're thinking right now too, Sean. You're thinking... I can't go half-time. They only take full-time people. But you'd be surprised what you get in this world when you ask for it.
0: Yeah, and if you're really good at your job, I mean, you make yourself just indispensable, and then you just tell them how it is.
1: Yeah, or even like work from home half the time. Yeah.
0: How about both? (laughs) By the way, guys, I'm working from home from now on, half-time.
1: Well, the funny thing is about working from home is you don't necessarily have to go to half time.
0: Yeah, I'm working full time, c- half time from home.
1: Yeah, you work <laughs> full time in air quotes, but the reality is you just need to get the work done. Yeah. Sometimes when you're freed up to do it the way that's most efficient, you can get your work done and oh, stop working.
0: Offices in are 50% bullshit anyway. Yeah, You know, I mean, like half of the time, all you're doing is talking about how, how was slash is going to be your weekend. You know, like Monday and Tuesday, you spend the whole day asking how your weekend was. And then Thursday, Friday, it's like, Hey, what's going on this weekend? (laughs) And Wednesday is like, Oh, I can't wait for the upcoming Columbus day holiday weekend. Uh, It's (laughs) there's so much bullshit. Did I ever tell you, Ben, how I like, I was, uh, Immediately hated by the management at my last job the the last like cubicle job I will ever have, mm, they had a cubicle yeah. decorating contest for like all of the holidays. It would be like, "Hey, it's you know Halloween cubicle decorating time oh dear, and I would never do it, and because I didn't do it, it was bad it was bad, bad politics for me, yeah. You weren't showing respect. I wasn't showing any flair or team spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, that was not, nope. Everybody needs to be wasting time decorating their cubicle so that we can all justify living here 50 hours a week (laughs) (laughs) rather than just doing our work (laughs) and getting out of here. Nope. We have to spend time decorating our stupid little office hovel that we have. I don't know. Um <clears throat> all right. Moving on? Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, you know it. Good luck. Let us know jokes. what you decide.
1: Sorry. What? Random last thought. You know, there's a job that I've I've always kind of wanted every now and then. Um like to work on a show, like be one of the actors in a show like Seinfeld.
0: Um okay.
1: I that show doesn't exist anymore. I, I I realize that, but like, have you ever watched the bloopers for those things?
0: <laughs> um, I, I don't think I've watched Seinfeld bloopers specifically, but yes, I am aware of bloopers for shows. Always
1: dying, you know? They're like dying of laughter. It's like that would be. It seems like, <laughs> seems like it would be fun to just go in and be like, okay, we got to do the scene, and then it's hilarious. So you, it's it's genuinely funny to the point where you can barely act it out. All right, Ben. You have to pull it together. We so got to get you a... That uh, sounds fun.
0: Okay. I think we got to get you a reel. Well, I think first you got to start doing some uh, stand-up.
1: No, no. I know this is the career I want to do. Okay. Yeah. I don't need to learn anything else about it. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think stand up's the way to go. You said you wanted to do stand-up. Yeah, I do want to do stand-up. Right.
1: I tried to ask Matt where he does his stand-up, and he
0: wouldn't tell Matt me. Matt won't so let I us go to like, his stand-up. He's like, it's not funny, don't come. Um, you have to start writing down all your funny thoughts, Ben, for the next like month, and then you just okay. have to go to an open mic. That's step I one. I will. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll work on There's it. I'll, I'll, like... I'll try to rub some elbows around here in, uh, in L.A. I'll try to find you an agent.
3: Okay, you. But you, you. you got
0: to do some stand-up. You've got to get some clips.
1: Okay. Maybe yeah. eventually write a, one, write a
0: write a one man show, put it on.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I laugh to myself.
0: All right. Um, you had to read this next one.
1: Yeah, Florida. This is for about Florida Coastal School of Law. Yep. Okay. Hi, Thinking LSAT team. I just came across this article about a lawsuit against Florida Coastal School of Law that you might find interesting. Apparently, this school is willing to admit low performing students and let them pay for three years of tuition. Then, in the last semester, everyone has to take a bar prep class. The class is graded on a curve, and a proportion of the class is necessarily failed out right before graduation, thus inflating the school's bar passage rate. This sounds so crazy and unethical. Uh, yeah, what, what do you think about that?
0: Well, I'm skimming the list. You know, they have lots of problems. It looks like they I guess they lost their accreditation, applied to the ABA to convert to a nonprofit and got denied. Their dean quit. <laughs> Federal loan disbursements were delayed. Uh I guess because the school is not accredited anymore. Mm. And then they tried the the plaintiff seeking half a million dollars in damages says that this bar prep class was designed to weed out students in order to artificially inflate bar passage rates. Students who didn't pass the bar prep class couldn't graduate and were therefore ineligible to sit for the bar exam. You know, that's a smart way to do it, man.
1: That is a clever... (laughs) (laughs) We'll take your cash, and then we will prevent you from hurting our bar passage numbers.
0: Yeah, yeah weird. Um Yeah, I I think I saw some like headline or something that it might have been from this school where they were like, yeah, 98% bar passage. Really? Yeah, but it's like, oh well, if this is your system where you basically make them take, you know, a their your version of the bar and then fail everybody
1: <laughs> who can't pass it sounds that sounds like it sounds like they got too greedy. Because really, is anyone going to look at Florida Coastal and be like, oh, They have a bar whatever, passage rate yeah. of 93%. Yeah. Wow. They must be doing well. No, it's like, come on. What's the bar passage rate for the law schools in Florida generally? Probably 70%. Yeah. So shoot for like
0: 75,
1: not 93.
0: <laughs> well, this just seems like a clearly sinking ship. You know, they're just. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're getting sued and going out of business probably. Yep. <laughs> be my be my guess. But um yeah, be careful. I mean, this is just reason number one million why you don't pay for law school, right? If Florida Coastal had given you a full ride, then you there's nothing really to lose. But if you go to the school and you don't get a scholarship or you have a scholarship and then lose your scholarship because you're not doing well in your first year it's just a pretty good sign that you're not going to be able to pass the bar. And so, yeah, like you shouldn't be in law school and you definitely should not be paying a lot of money for law school. Yeah. So, um, boy, if you don't pay, you just don't get yourself into this situation. Sure. Wow. Uh, thanks for sending that in Abigail. All right, want to do this LR question and then we'll get out of here?
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right,
0: I'll read it to you. Says, although large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside. Oh, by the way, this is uh, PrepTest 71, Section 2, Number 11. This is one of the questions that LSAC released uh, on their free digital familiarization tool. With bad explanations from Khan Academy? Wait, does it even have the explanations in there? No, not in their tool, I don't think. Well, you can go to the con class if you want bad explanations about the LSAT. Um, It says, although large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside, increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, like, it took me a minute. You have to get there, though, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. that's the whole point. Is do you need to get to that? Hmm. Why would that be? Yeah. Right. There's a there's a, a premise there. Large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside. You think about that for a minute, and you go, Yeah, duh. Obviously, the middle of Los Angeles is more polluted than like Ventura County or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay but increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide. Huh? That seems counterintuitive. Um, But I can intuit a, you know, possible explanation. What are you thinking?
1: Right now I'm thinking maybe there's like economies of scale, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like there's not very many people out in the countryside. Public transportation. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what they're going to say, but I'm thinking to myself, oh, maybe this is, maybe you're saying this because there aren't that many people out in the countryside, but the pollution per person is higher. And so when you bring them into the city, uh, yeah, of course there's more pollution for the city, but that's because there's a million people. Yeah. And and why would someone,
0: why would someone living in the countryside be polluting more?
1: Oh, well, I, I just heard you, and I think that's a good idea. Like, maybe they're driving their car around, whereas city folks are not.
0: Yeah, we know this. That's I mean, this is, a, this is like an actual fact. <laughs> people mm-hmm. in cities walk more. People in cities take public transportation more. Yeah, And so, yeah, it's polluted. Like, New York is not clean. But if you put all those people living in the country, each driving around their suburban, there would be vastly more pollution. Um, per person, it would just be spread out.
1: Okay. I imagine their houses are bigger too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. that's uh, Those thoughts flash through your head in five seconds, right? 10 seconds. But they do
1: flash because we pause and think about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I think we had a pause here on the show and people were like, huh? Is my podcast right. still working? <laughs> yeah. But that's the kind of thing you have to do. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you're just like plowing forward and, Nothing's going in, just going in and out.
0: Yep. Oh, now they actually give, give you this. Okay. So they go, residents mm-hmm. of large cities usually rely more on mass transportation and live in smaller, more inefficient, energy efficient dwellings <laughs> than do people in rural areas. And at that point, now I don't need to pause, right? Because I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking you were going to say. Well,
1: wow, That's a little ironic. Yeah. I guess we could have thought about other things, but okay. Those are the most obvious anyway.
0: Yeah. So, it, but that's actually good too, because it's like making sense. It's like, hey, here's a puzzle, and then here's why that puzzle actually isn't so puzzling. Yep. Then it says, thus, a given number of people will produce less pollution if concentrated in a large city than if dispersed among many small towns. I mean, that seems pretty good.
1: It does seem pretty good. Um, Because my job is to play devil's advocate, I'm going to push back and say, okay, Yeah, but what if people far away used less transportation or there were other things that aren't talked about, right? Like we talked about transportation and energy-efficient dwellings. Sure, maybe the city folks are beating the country folks in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. But maybe the country folks um, grow their own food and recycle everything into their compost, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's my job. Yeah, My job is to say, yeah, but what about this?
0: Yeah, also this... Maybe there's a selection bias thing happening, right? This may be similar to what you're saying. Is that Mm. like the conclusion says a given number of people, it seems to apply to like any given number of people. Mm. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that that's true. It could be that the city dwellers, when they move out to the country, are going to be like perfectly happy walking around and like not driving their suburbans.
2: Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah.
0: Or it's possible that if country dwellers who currently, you know, pollute more, If they moved into the city, they might just continue driving their Suburban. Sure. Okay. All right. So that's good. Yeah. Our job is not really to agree. Our job is to disagree. Look for places where we can push back. Anyway, all that happens pretty quickly. I mean, this is like you just take five or ten seconds after each sentence and let it like sink in. Now the conclusion says, which one of the following most accurately describes the role played in the argument by the claim that increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide? Okay. My I you m- have a prediction. You have a prediction? Yeah. Yeah. My prediction usually follows the, well, is it a premise or is it the conclusion or is it something else?
1: Sure. That's a great start a loose prediction.
0: Yeah, so what do we think? Is it a premise? Is it a conclusion? Is it something else?
1: I would say this is well, I'd say it's I okay, I I admittedly I need to unpack my thoughts here. Okay. My initial thought was this is a conclusion. And I was debating between this and the last sentence. And then I thought to myself, it seems like the last sentence is more specific and being used as evidence for that. So I came to the conclusion that it was the main conclusion. But or, what was your thought process?
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to have to look at it a little bit more carefully. I mean, the conclusion of this argument is either the second part of the first sentence or it is the last sentence.
1: Yeah, and the second part of the first sentence is what they're asking about, right? They're saying hey, increasing
0: urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide. Mm-hmm. I actually think that the last sentence, even though it says thus, I think the last sentence is evidence for the part that they're asking us about. Yes, because I think I, it makes I agree. I think it makes more sense. So here, I would do that. Um, you know that because of this, therefore that mm-hmm. test. So I'm going to, I'm going to say because of this, and then I'm going to read one of these two pieces and then I'm going to say, therefore, and I'm going to read the other of the two pieces and I'm going to see if it makes sense. Okay. So if we think the last sentence is the conclusion, which I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to say it the way I think probably doesn't make sense. So, okay. because increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide, therefore, a given number of people will produce less pollution if concentrated in a large city than if dispersed among many small towns. That doesn't really make any sense to me. It's taking a, like a global premise and then applying it downward to a specific... Group of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let me try it the other way around. Because a given number of people will produce less pollution if concentrated in a large city than if dispersed among many small towns. Therefore, increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide. Yeah. You know, it just sounds better that way. Like it just it just clicks that way. It makes more sense that way. Yeah. Any more it's, it's funny, like I, I don't know, is that useful for students to hear it that way because that that really is my honest experience. It's just like, well, the conclusion has to be this or this, but it sure seems like it makes more sense for one of them to support the other.
1: Yeah, you know, and in my experience, I wouldn't say that this is this is definitely not always true, but in my experience, specific things tend to support. More general things. Now, it can one hundred percent go the other way. You can use a generalization to support a specific claim, but when you're not sure which one is the main conclusion, it's not usually the case that the general claim is being used to support the specific one. I have it's another. Usually, the reverse. Yeah, I
0: think you're right, and I have another thought here. Yeah, I'm noticing the may that's in mm-hmm. the the more general claim says may. Yeah. And the the other more specific claim is just basically like a clear statement. Mhm. And I would rather use that clear statement to support something that is soft. Sure. Than to That's use something argument. soft to support a very specific claim. Mm-hmm. Like an absolute claim. Yeah. Okay. Well, Which one of the following most accurately describes the role played in the argument by the claim that increasing urbanization may actually reduce the total amount of pollution generated nationwide? I think that is the conclusion of the argument. Mm -hmm. A says it's used to support the conclusion that's already wrong.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing here is if you're unsure and you're debating between whether the last sentence is the main conclusion or that sentence is the main conclusion, if you keep reading A, <laughs> you would know that this is wrong because there is no conclusion that says people should live in large cities. Yeah, and it, that's what this says. Yeah,
0: A goes on to say, yeah, it is used to support the conclusion that people should live in large cities. And that's just not what the argument said at all.
1: Yep. Okay. So my point there is that ideally you've predicted and you've predicted correctly. But the more you know about the test, you can have multiple ways to get rid of an answer choice. And that will help you get it right, even when things are tough.
0: Yeah, that's another thing I say a lot when people start asking me about tutoring. You know, people who are in the 170s and they're talking about like, hey, I'm trying to get to 175. Do you think tutoring will help? And one of the things I say a lot is, well, you know, I might have three ways of getting there where you only had one. Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of where Ben and I both, I think we both see the first half of that answer as wrong, but then we see the second half of the answer also as wrong. Yeah. And so once you can see that it's, you know, it's double wrong, like, okay, definitely not going to pick that B it's a statement offered to call into question the claim that large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside.
1: To call that into question.
0: Right. That's, so I, I think this one, again, is double wrong. Mm-hmm. The argument is not questioning the claim that large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside. It actually stated that as a premise. And it says notwithstanding that, increasing urbanization would or may actually reduce the total amount of pollution. Yep. So B is misdescribing the argument. I might not have even read the whole thing, though, because it's a statement offered to call into question. I'm like, no, it's the conclusion of the argument. Yep. C, it's a statement serving merely to introduce the topic to be addressed in the argument and plays no logical role. (laughs) I mean, it either has to be a premise or a conclusion.
1: Well, here, too, it's, yeah, if you were debating whether this is the main conclusion, yeah, this is, that's exactly what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking no. over you. Yeah. No, you're right. If you're debating whether it's a main conclusion or intermediate conclusion, it's like, well, it's not this. <laughs> yep. Because it says this it's nothing.
0: D, it's a premise offered in support of the conclusion that large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside.
1: Now, this is, I love this answer because. I mean, it's wrong, but I love it because if you don't know, if you're stuck here and you're like, I don't know whether this is an intermediate conclusion or the main conclusion, you could still get this answer right because D says it is a premise offered in support of the conclusion that large cities are generally more populated than the countryside. More polluted than the countryside. That was the concession mentioned at the beginning of the argument, not the other conclusion we were debating. No, the other
0: one we were debating was a given number of people will produce less pollution if concentrated in a large city than if dispersed among many small towns. That's not saying large cities are generally more polluted than the countryside. Yeah. It's the opposite of that, right? (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of times students will come with like, well, but I thought it was a premise, so that's why I picked D. And it's like, Yeah. yeah, but... D misdescribes the actual conclusion. If you did think it was a premise, D misdescribes the conclusion of the argument, so that cannot be the answer. Yeah. E says, it is a claim that the rest of the argument is designed to establish. In other words, the main conclusion. Yeah, people sometimes won't pick that because of the word claim.
1: Mm. Yeah, they think claim is like a premise or something or sometimes people think claims are conclusions because they're things that the author is claiming, but are not necessarily true. Um, I think claim means claims can be anything.
0: Hmm? I think you could just always substitute thing for claim.
1: Yeah. Or statement.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, Just any, yeah, something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a statement that the rest of the argument is designed to establish. Establish means prove, prove, uh yeah. It's the conclusion yeah. of the argument.
1: Let me just to make this ultra clear, yeah. claims are anything. In other words, a premise is a claim, a conclusion is a claim, a main conclusion is a claim, a concession is a claim, an opinion of others is also a claim. <laughs> it's it's like yeah. just a generic term. Yeah, anyway.
0: Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So the answer there was E. Um, even if you had thought it was a premise, you still should have been able to get that right because you can't pick any of the answers that say premise. Um, yeah. They all misdescribe the conclusion of the argument. Uh, only one answer uh, is even pickable because the other four are just like not correctly describing the argument. These questions are top-down questions, right? They're they're mm-hmm. the, these role questions. Um, are just top down. They're evidence based, top down questions. Yeah. And so here we just we can eliminate A through D because they're they're different. They're 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 yeah. misdescribing the argument. Therefore, they have to be wrong. And there's only one answer that can even possibly be correct, which is E. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to join the Thinking Else That podcast group on Facebook. Take all the advice there with a grain of salt. Ben and I chime in from time to time, but uh, not that often. So you're going to be hearing uh, advice from random people on the internet, which means you should always, uh, you know, run it through your own personal bullshit detector. If there's something on the Facebook group that you're not sure whether it's correct, you can always email help at thinkinglsat.com, and uh, we might put it into a future Pearls versus Turds segment on the show. We are at Thinking LSAT on Instagram, Twitter, whatever your favorite social media is. So find us, follow us at Thinking LSAT. You can visit strategyprep.com and foxlsat.com to learn about our services. Ben does live classes in D.C. I do live classes in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, we also do one-on-one tutoring. You can learn about that via our respective websites. Go to lsatdemon.com, do a seven-day free trial Find out what uh, all the fuss is about. We think it's everything you need for LSAT prep, but uh, the best way to figure that out for yourself is to just do a seven-day trial and see what you think. You can listen to the show all different sorts of ways um, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or you can just uh, listen directly through our website, thinkinglsat.com. Please um, subscribe, rate, review, you know, do all those things. Um, last chance to sign up for the New York City class October 12 and 13 you can learn more about that at thinkinglsat.com hope to see you in the city it's going to be super fun anything else Ben? no, I'm excited for New York yeah man, any, um, any plans to do any sightseeing or, uh, or anything like that while you're there?
1: yeah, well my niece uh, and her husband moved up there uh, last year I think, and so we'll be seeing them and that'll be fun oh,
0: that's awesome yeah um cool yeah Look, looking forward to uh, i'll hook up with you sometime on friday right in new mm-hmm. york okay and we'll yeah, announce uh, yeah we'll send an email out to everybody who's uh, signed up for the class we'll send an email out about uh getting together for we like to call it drinking lsat on uh, friday night so if anybody wants to come out and join us for a beverage uh, we will give you those details uh, we'll also post that on the um social media and website and stuff. So anybody who just wants to come say hi, alums, all that sort of thing can come and uh, say hi to us. We'd love to see you. Yeah. Uh, That was episode 213 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.